The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with a late summer stock pop, a relief rally underway as investors make big bets. The Fed's historic hiking cycle is complete, and the recent rate shock is near its peak. And crypto bulls, they get a historic win. Shares of the world's biggest Bitcoin fund, they are surging along with crypto-exposed stocks on a landmark court ruling. We are also bracing for Adalia. The hurricane expected to make landfall in Florida this morning as a category form storm. Residents are being urged to evacuate. We have a live report from Florida in just a moment. Plus, Amazon under fire over what the feds are calling illegal drug sales. And then later in the show, ahead of the Friday jobs report, we asked where the jobs are. We're taking a close a close look at one sector helping lead the recent hiring surge. It is Wednesday, August the 30th, 2023. And you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start this day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures after a positive day for Wall Street. that saw the S&P post its best single day gain since early June. That was a while ago. Taking a look right now, we're seeing the futures pretty much mixed right now. The Dow Jones very fractionally higher, essentially flat. The S&P and the Nasdaq just fractionally down in the red. We are also checking the bond market. The two and the 10-year yields hitting their lowest level since August the 11th this morning. Taking a look at the 10-year note at 4.14. The two-year note, the yield back below 5% at 4.91. Um, after that jolts report, we saw bond yields ease quite a bit, falling uh, a number of basis points across the board. And as energy traders weigh the potential impact of global oil supplies from Hurricane Adalia, we're taking a look at crude prices this morning. WTI, the U.S. benchmark at 81.62, up a half a percent. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark at 85.88, also up just about a half a percent. Natural gas, very similar story, moving higher this morning. All right, turn our attention back to equities, which appear to be in relief rally mode to close out what has otherwise been a pretty brutal month for stocks. Take a look. The S&P and the Dow, they're now less than 2.5% below their 52-week highs, and they're now trading above their 50-day moving averages. You see the line right here. This is the 50-day moving average line. But they still have a bit of work to do to get back above water for the month of August. The Dow and the S&P, they're down 2% in August, and the Nasdaq's fallen 2.8% on track for its worst monthly loss of all of this year. Joining me now to discuss is Josh Wine, Portfolio Manager at Hennessy Funds. Josh, good morning. Good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. Give us a sense of your thoughts on this mini relief rally, I guess we can call it. Uh, the major average is moving higher over the last couple of days. But again, as we just noted, having a difficult month of August. Yeah, it's been a difficult month. Uh, good morning again. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're in earnings season and earnings season has been, you know, certainly lackluster on the growth front. Uh, very, very meager revenue growth and some contraction in earnings. I, I think more than anything, it's it's news out of, you know, China, uh, as it relates to residential real estate and and just, you know, further softening, uh, you know, globally. And I, I think it points to the idea that, yeah, as you mentioned, we're at the end of a rate hike cycle. 
the market, the next time the market really prices in any action by the Fed is is really not until next summer, uh, around June, where there could potentially be a cut. And until then, it's just kind of treading water. There's really no conviction in the Fed doing uh, too much of anything until then. So I think that the market likes that, apparently. All right. So what about you? Where do you have conviction? Because certainly we are seeing some parts of the market working. Yeah, well, I think the conviction, you know, certainly overall in the market, I mean, I think that the headline kind of P.E. on, you know, on a forward basis for the S&P uh, is about 20. And, and that may not be so compelling, although, you know, versus the Nasdaq at 35, I think that, you know, the market is is not terribly frothy. I think of particular note would be mid caps that trade at less than 15 times. So I think that, you know, we're taking a close look at those and and, and feel like there's opportunity uh, there. Uh, you know, they've lagged the market uh, by a good amount this year. All right. I want to go back to Chinese property stocks. I know that's something that you're watching. Um, give us a sense of your take on the action. I also want to bounce something else off you. A Fundstrat note from last night. Uh, Fundstrat saying in part about yesterday's rally that the rally is providing quite strong, is pr- proving to be quite strong in many categories. And finally, some evidence of some bottoming out in China and metals, but can't rule out a stalling out over the next two to three days, specifically because of yields. If non-payroll uh, farm payrolls confirm jolts data and the TNX, that's the 10-year, crashes under 4%, then it's likely the rally extends. So is a lot of this uh, China property stocks hitting the bottom and finally showing some relief and these yields continue to fall. In your mind, does that set us up for a rally going forward into September, which is traditionally a pretty difficult month? Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I would agree. I think that, you know, the 10 year sits a little bit below where it was about a year ago. And so and, you know, we still have an inverted yield curve. You know, we've seen what the, uh, you know, the news out of China as it relates to real estate has done to things like you know, the price of crude taking it below 80 of, of late. And I think a lot of that is credited to the idea of some contagion coming out of China. Um, I mean, about a third of the U.S. dollar bonds related to residential development are in default. So, you know, that certainly not good for their economy and, and there are knock-on effects to the U.S. and elsewhere. Um, and, and certainly we in this country on the commercial side of, of the real estate equation you know, we'll see some weakness at some point or more weakness as, uh, you know, commercial real estate continues to, uh, you know, come in here in, in the U.S. as, you know, urban areas are are troubled. So, yeah, I okay. think that all this is related to kind of interest rates and, and how it, you know, sets up for the future. So, absolutely. I think that note is spot on. All right. Something we're certainly watching. We're also going to be talking about the impact of commercial real estate on the jobs market and other parts of the market later in the show. Josh Wine, great to see you. Thank you very much. Good to see you, Frank. Thank you. All right, let's get a check on this morning's top corporate stories. It's also great to see Silvana Hanau. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank. Good Wednesday morning to you. Well, shares of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, that's the world's largest Bitcoin fund, are in rally mode and coming off their best day in two years. After a U.S. court ruled the SEC was wrong in denying Grayscale a license to convert its Bitcoin fund into a true spot Bitcoin ETF, a license the SEC will now have to reconsider. Investors not only piling into Grayscale on the news, but other stocks with close ties to crypto like Coinbase, Riot Blockchain, Marathon Digital and Robinhood all coming off sharply lower closes yesterday. Watching the price of Bitcoin this morning. Let's see what we're doing now. Up 
one, down 1.6% one, 1. in pre-market. And what a difference a day makes. Just days after capturing the title of the world's most valuable automaker, shares of Vietnamese EV producer VinFast are sinking, down 44% yesterday and again this morning, losing some $90 billion in market value this week alone. And Amazon is under fire from the Food and Drug Administration over sales of what regulators are calling sales of unapproved drugs on its site. The most recent letter from the FDA, which the Financial Times notes is the third such letter in the past 12 months, is asking Amazon about sales of a drug used to treat skin conditions, one that is not cleared for over-the-counter sales. The regulator alleges that drugs are being marketed for use by children and that Amazon must address its concerns or risk, quote, legal action, Frank. All right, Savannah, thank you very much. We will see you later in the show. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, your big money movers and why shares of Box. They are sinking ahead of the open, taking a look down more than 8%. Plus, ahead of Friday's jobs report, we ask where the jobs are, and we're taking a closer look at one sector helping lead the recent hiring surge, that is construction. And then later in the show, we are tracking Adalia as it strengthens into a hurricane excuse me, a Category 4 hurricane just off Florida's Gulf Coast. We have a live report on the ground coming up. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at U.S. futures right now. The Dow essentially flat. The S&P and the NASDAQ fractionally lower. Let's see how Europe is shaping up as its trading day is getting underway. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is live in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, let me start out with what we've seen in Asia overnight. Uh, Pausing for breath, I think you could say, for Asian investors, the Shanghai Composite ended essentially flat as investors keep an eye on Gina Raimondo's visit to China, our four-day visit concluding today, and remarks there suggesting that China is uninvestable for a number of American companies. In Hong Kong, yesterday we had the massive rally driven in large part by BYD, the Chinese EV maker. This morning, uh, not a huge amount of action either. The Nikkei 225 in Japan did edge higher by about 0.3%. And over in Australia, we also saw some decent 
and gains that market gaining more than one percent. As for European trade, it's been choppy throughout the morning. But in the last half an hour, 45 minutes or so, we have taken a turn for the worse. The Zetra DAX now down about half a percent, the CAC 40 as well. It's the German market in focus this morning. We had some regional inflation prints come through and we learned that four out of six key German states have seen an acceleration in inflation pressures in the month of August. Now, this is key, of course, for the European Central Bank, which meets in just a couple of weeks. And if the German inflation picture has actually deteriorated rather than gotten better, then perhaps a rate hike is more likely come September. We're going to get the national inflation print for Germany in just a few hours, so look out for that. And then tomorrow we're going to get the inflation print, the flash number for August for the overall eurozone. So a lot to play for uh, on the macro front here in Europe over the next couple of days, Frank. Yeah, big week for inflation data and jobs data, both in Europe and here in the U.S. Juliana, always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right, we're going to stick with the overseas action. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo wrapping up her high-profile trip to China today, but not before catching up with our Eunice Yoon, who joins me now with exclusive comments from the secretary. Eunice. Thanks so much, Frank. Where the secretary just wrapped up her last press conference before she heads home, she described her visit as productive. And this is after a whirlwind tour here in Shanghai, where she visited various examples of U.S.-China cooperation, Shanghai Disneyland, uh, the NYU's uh, local campus, as well as this Boeing facility. Now, in that exclusive, I asked her about the concern that she hears among U.S. businesses that China is just uninvestable. She said that U.S. companies want to do business here, but they just don't know what to expect. All of those regulations just make, it's an unlevel playing field for U.S. business. It's unpredictable. And so uh, my message was, there's a desire to do business, but we need predictability, due process, uh, and a level playing field. I also asked about cases like Micron, Intel, as well as Chinese export curbs as a possible Chinese policy to retaliate against U.S. companies for her department's export controls. This is what she said. I think that that retaliation, if it is retaliation, isn't good. Like, that isn't the way to build confidence or attract U.S. foreign direct investment. Frank, her main message was that action speaks louder than words. And in fact, she brought up with me that a Boeing deal would be a good action and a sign that China is serious about rebuilding confidence among American companies. All right. So obviously a very important trip, both for diplomatic reasons and also business reasons. What's been the response in China? Oh, so far on the Chinese side of the government has, from her perspective, made no comment, though, of course, they have been very welcoming her, welcoming to her um, for this visit. Uh, The Chinese um, um, uh, population has also been... enjoying her visit here. In fact, when I was at Shanghai Disneyland with her, uh, there was a little girl who came up, ran over and hugged her. And it was just, again, another one of those moments where you could see American soft power in China. You know, Eunice, big story, but you're you're kind of burying the lead. What was uh, Disneyland like in Shanghai? (laughs) 
Oh, come on. Actually, I've been there so many times. Really? <laughs> so for me, I was just more focused on the Commerce Secretary. Yeah, several times at this point. Um, obviously, a lot of fun. And um, you do get to see a lot of interesting you know, uh, ways in which the U.S. and China both benefit in this way. So it was it was a lot of fun to be there again, though. Yeah, sounds I was like very it. much focused sounds on like a my very job. interesting trip for the secretary. I hope you got a fast pass. Eunice Yoon, it is always great to see you. Thank you very much. All right. Time now for your big money movers. One of our favorite segments here on the show. We're going to start with Box reporting second quarter results that were in line with estimates. But the cloud storage company is cutting its earnings and revenue guidance for the year. Box says the slowing economy is putting pressure on customers' IT budgets. Those shares down more than 8%. Amborella's second quarter numbers, they beat forecasts, but shares are tumbling this morning after the chipmaker for robotics and self-driving technology expects third quarter sales well below estimates. The company says customers are aggressively reducing inventory and is seeing some weakness in end market demand. Those shares down more than 20%. And shares of computer maker HP, they're falling hard After third quarter revenue fell by 10 percent, missing forecasts, the company's also being cautious on the fourth quarter as it deals with the slump in the PC market and sluggish demand in China. CEO Enrique Lores says they do not see a recovery in China happening anytime soon. Those shares down more than 8 percent. We've got much more worldwide exchange coming up after this. Stay with us. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. We are following a developing story. Hurricane Adalia still gaining in strength and is forecast to make landfall in Florida as a Category 4 storm this morning. The storm is currently a Category 3 and moving north, just off the Gulf Coast of Florida, with maximum sustained winds of 130 miles per hour. Residents there really being urged to evacuate ahead of this storm surge. NBC's Jay Gray joins me now from Gainesville, Florida, with much more. Jay, good morning. Yeah, good morning, Frank, and an update to that. Uh, we now know that Idalia is a Category 4. It's reached that 130-mile-an-hour threshold and now a major Category 4 storm barreling in on the coast of Florida. That just happened, just got the update on that. What does that mean? Uh, severe winds, uh, a strike along the coast with a storm surge of 12 to 16 feet. That's, that would be unprecedented in this area to see that wall of water moving in and, and catastrophic, obviously. Here in Gainesville, which is right along the path of that storm and on the east or dirty side of the hurricane, we're going to see hurricane force winds. We are going to see a driving rain that's going to continue for quite some time. Uh, we're talking about hours of these types of conditions. And this is an area that's populated heavily with trees. So we're, we're going to see trees that are pulled down, power lines pulled down. Uh, we know that power crews from across the country are already staged outside of the strike zone, and they'll move in. But it may be a while before they can get to this area. It's obviously also the home of the University of Florida, so you've got a lot of students here, a lot of faculty. Uh, they've been told to move to higher ground, and those that haven't, now don't have that opportunity. We've seen bands, the outer bands of this storm moving through. 
uh, Frank, and I know you've covered hurricanes, so you know what that means. The, the bands come through and you get a heavy rain, you get some wind, and, and then it drops off as that band clears and then the next band. Well, it's going to be a full-on storm in the next couple of hours. We expect landfall uh, around 6 to 7 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah, Jay, you and I were both on the ground for Hurricane Ida in New Orleans just a, a few years ago. Let me ask you, um, that storm right. lasted quite a few days. How long is this one expected to last? Yeah, if there's any good news with this, and, and it's not much, but, but the fact is it, it's been moving at a pretty good clip, 15, 16 miles an hour. So we hope that that's going to continue and it's going to clear through and continue to move. Now that's going to push conditions into other areas up along uh, the Georgia coastline and the Carolinas. Uh, but it should clear this area by the end of the day at, at the very latest, which will allow uh, those teams to move in and, and begin trying to restore some of the power and, and assessing some of the hardest hit areas. So, Jay, you mentioned University of Florida is right there in Gainesville. About 60,000 students go to that school. It's a pretty densely populated area there in the Florida yeah. area. Uh, has the National Guard been deployed? What other measures to, to alleviate some of the issues there? No, you're absolutely right. And, and we have uh, been told that the National Guard has deployed 5,500 troops. Now, uh, they're in position and they'll move in after the storm passes to help in any way they can, whether it's a rescue or, or some type of uh, 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 securing an area that's been hit uh, severely. But again, that's all up to the assessment. Can't make that until the storm moves through and, and everyone here now bracing for the effects of that. Our, our Jay Gray, live there in Gainesville, Florida. Jay, you stay safe. Thank you for the great reporting, as always. All right, looking at the energy market right now, oil prices are higher. As investors, they weigh the potential impact to U.S. energy supply and demand from Hurricane Adalia. Oil producers Chevron and Kinder Morgan, they're not wasting any time. They've evacuated staff from Gulf platforms, and they're shutting down key regional pipelines. All the uncertainty around Adalia certainly helping the energy sector, which is the only S&P sector in the green over the month of August. Our Pippa Stevens is here and tracking the technicals in the energy market. Pippa, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, the recent move higher means that every single stock within the energy sector is now above its 50-day moving average, which is a widely watched momentum indicator. The materials sector is a far second at 55%, with tech at 54%. Now, energy really stands out here because for the overall S&P 500, just 44% of components are above that key technical indicator. Energy also leads when it comes to the 200-day moving average, with 87% of the sector trading above that level, compared with 54% for the S&P. Now, the strength follows a sustained move higher for oil on the heels of production cuts from OPEC Plus and strong demand for petroleum products. Plus, with the group's relative underperformance for 2023, investors could think the space now looks more attractive. As Chris Verone from Strategus put it, energy is, quote, in a league of its own. But J.C. O'Hara over at Roth MKM did note that the last time this happened back in November, it did mark an intermediate top for energy. So he said caution in the short term is warranted as the sector catches its breath. But a little further out, the trend is strong, he said leading him to say that investors should buy any dips in September. As you noted, Frank, the only positive group over the last month. Back to you. All right, our Pippa Stevens. Pippa, thank you for that live report. All right, as we had a break here on Worldwide Exchange, we have a special programming note. Join us for Delivering Alpha on September 28th in New York City, where we will convene investors and leaders to provide insights, ideas, and analysis 
help you balance risk with maximized returns. Scan the QR code or visit cnbcevents.com slash delivering alpha. I'll be there. Hope to see you there. Much more Worldwide Exchange coming up after this. It is right around 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks coming off one of their best days in weeks as investors brace for what appears to be the end of the Fed's historic hiking cycle. Futures are in the red today. ADP, private payrolls due out in just about three hours from now. We speak with one employer whose sector has been leading the summer hiring surge. We ask if that trend is set to continue. And then later in the show, Hurricane Adalia barreling down on the U.S. Gulf Coast, expected to make landfall in Florida later this morning. It is currently a Category 4 storm. We are tracking the storm's path ahead. It is Wednesday, August the 30th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin. Let's get you ready to start this day. We pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After a mostly higher session for stocks yesterday, as you can see, however, Right now in the pre-market, futures are solidly in the red. All three indices moving to the downside in the last half an hour or so. All right, we're also looking at the bond market. We're also seeing bonds move lower as well following that jolts report yesterday. So taking a look right now, we see the two-year, that yield back below 5%. The benchmark 10-year at 4.14, about 6, 7 basis points lower than it was yesterday. We'll continue to watch that action right there. But we also want to look at the energy market as producers in the U.S. Gulf Coast they brace for the worst of Hurricane Adalia. Looking at the oil prices right now, WTI crew, that's the U.S. benchmark at 81.70, now up almost three quarters of a percent, moving higher since we started the show. Similar story for Brent crude at 85.92, now up solidly a half a percent. Natural gas just up fractionally right now. To a key focus on Wall Street this, week's, this week, that is jobs. July jolts yesterday, ADP private payrolls today. And weekly initial jobless claims tomorrow, they are all setting the stage for the big show on Friday. And that's, of course, the August jobs report. Last month's employment report showing the healthcare industry adding the most amount of jobs, followed by construction and then financial activities. Construction in particular facing an extreme labor shortage, slowing progress in projects ranging from houses to schools to infrastructures and even hospitals. Let's talk more about what's happening on the ground with Dave Hall, CEO of Clune Construction, which employs more than 700 workers and manages over $1.6 billion in construction projects annually. Dave, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning. All right, so just looking at a recent CNBC story, uh, according to that, there's a shortage of about 650,000 construction workers here in the U.S. How does that impact your business specifically and the broader industry? I, I think the industry is... Uh is definitely impacted. We're, we're lucky that we have, um, we're in markets that there, you can still find uh, a good tradespeople. Um, however, when you get into some of the markets that are, are farther from the big cities, it's just not happening. And, and jobs, like you mentioned, are slowing and stopping. All right. So we, we mentioned this a bit ago. Uh, construction, tied for the second most jobs added in July. How does that yeah. impact wages and also your ability to find the right talent for specific projects? I'm talking about healthcare and tech, things like labs yeah. and data center, where you are seeing strong demand. Well, it's it's a systemic problem, unfortunately. It's it's not something we're going to solve this week or this month or this year. It's um, uh, there is some positive. Uh, you're seeing more and more attention to it, uh, but you saw the the big jump this last month. Um, I I don't believe that that that's going to be able to continue because there just aren't the people. 
Um, you know, immigration is down. Um, uh, birth rates are down. This problem's been going on for the last, I mean, immigration's been down since 2016. And that's where a lot of people that are entering the construction trade market come from. Um, and, and until we, we get that corrected, it's not going to get better. What about wages? Are you seeing uh, wage pressure? Are, are your Absolutely. employees kind of hopping from job to job? I, you know, a lot of people don't know this. I actually worked in construction for a bit, and my mom was in <laughs> construction. So I, I know how hard it can be to find employees and then also to keep them, especially for someone like you. You're a general contractor. You need subcontractors. They often look for better paying jobs, maybe yeah. even sometimes while they're working on your job. Absolutely. Especially in the tech sector, as you mentioned, um, we have a number of projects going in, for instance, in Phoenix, where there's a huge boom with the with the chip plants, et cetera. Um, and, and you're seeing offers to tradespeople on our job sites that are five, six, seven dollars an hour more uh, than the already high wages uh, that have that have escalated in that area over the last five years. Do you run into the issue that we see a lot of times when it comes to residential projects where you have a subcontractor start a job and they get a better offer and, they, you know, they're still working on your job, but they kind of migrate over to this other higher paying job? <laughs> we're, we're blessed that we don't. Uh, I mean, that's a great market. That's not a market clunes in as a residential. But um, but we're blessed that we have some amazing trade partners okay. that that don't do that to us. All right. I want to ask you about two other uh, areas right here that have been really a headwind for the financial markets. I want to ask how it impacts construction, supply chain disruptions, and also less demand for commercial real estate. How does that impact your business? Oh, well, the less demand for commercial real estate is huge. Um, you know, obviously, banks are not lending for commercial real estate, especially office space. Um, so that's, I mean, and if they can, if you can borrow, it's the interest rates are, you know, three times what they were just a few years ago. Um, so that's not going to, you know, that, that, that definitely affects us. Uh, however, it, it, you know, it does, to be honest, it, it loosens up the, the, the market for, for labor a little bit. So I guess there is a silver lining in that cloud. All right. What about the supply chain disruptions? What about the prices for materials and also availability? Yeah. We're seeing some improvement there. Um, especially as I mentioned, you mentioned the data center market, you know, where, where we used to get large generators in, in six months, it went up to over two years. It's getting back down around the year mark. So we're seeing that loosen up. Um, and, and the prices for the raw materials are leveling. Uh, so that's good. But um, we, we don't see it. They, they won't be back to the, the, the rates or the, the lead times that they were, you know, six months or two years ago for some time. All right. We have the jobs report coming up. So you're saying the hiring spree that we see in the summer isn't sustainable. What's your forecast? Do you see that number falling simply because of availability of workers or is there maybe one more month of a, of a hiring surge in there? Well, we're hoping for one more month. That's for sure. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I can't I can't project that. But, yeah, I, I think you, you could get another month. You could get another month. All right. Dave Hall, it is great to have you here. Dave Hall of Clune Construction. Good luck with all your projects. And thanks for being here today. Thank you. All right. We're going to shift gears to earnings right now. Salesforce reports after the bell today. Those shares are up 60 percent year to date, but they're underperforming the market and the Nasdaq 100 since Salesforce began settling with six activist investors back in March after agreeing to focus on profitable growth and increasing shareholder value. This quarter, revenues are forecast to increase by 10 percent, earnings by 59 percent. Estimates have operating margin at 28.4 percent compared to 19.9 percent just a year ago. Margin is especially important. Expense management, that was a key issue for the activist investors. But the biggest metric for Salesforce outside those results is current remaining performance obligation. 
It's a proxy for the pipeline of business over the next 12 months. The estimate is $23.67 billion, or 10% year-over-year growth. That would be the smallest increase to current RPO in quite a while. Part of that is Salesforce is maturing as a company. However, J.P. Morgan put out a note on CRM yesterday citing concerns about what analysts call unevenness and variability on demand. Two key areas for both the call and the report. Comments on the 9% price increase that started this month and the adoption of Salesforce's monetized AI offerings, sales GPT and service GPT that cost $50 per user per month. Joining me now to discuss and look at the, head, look at the quarter ahead, or look, at the, look ahead at the quarter for Salesforce is Rob Oliver, senior research analyst covering software at Baird. Rob, good to have you here. Hey, Frank, good morning. Thanks for having me. So let's start off with your rating and your price target on Salesforce ahead of earnings. We're currently neutral rated on Salesforce. Um, our, I think you you captured it very well. If you look at uh, the stock move, it's up 60% year to date. And you're right. A lot of that move was on the back of an activist push at Salesforce to really become a much more efficient operating margin company after years of really not having focused on that at all, having been a company that was growth at all costs. Uh, recall it wasn't that long ago that this was, um, you know, a, a 20 plus billion dollar company with teens operating margins. Those operating margins are now um, uh, approaching 30 percent. Um, the activists uh, are now largely gone. And I think, as you alluded to in your opening remarks, we believe that the focus will begin to shift and is shifting now towards revenue growth and what Salesforce can do there. And you mentioned the CRPO uh, uh, guide, which we think is built in some to, some conservatism for the quarter. But I think the big question is, is Salesforce going to be a double digit to teens grower or is it going to be something slower than that? All right. I want to point out your price targets 210. The stock's trading at 212 right now. So you see clearly the, the stock either moving sideways or taking a dip and maybe popping up later. What, what's the path for Salesforce? And important to note, um, it's annual. I don't even know what you call it. Event, convention, dream forces coming up very shortly. Yeah, sure. Dream forces, you know, you get to spend some time in San Francisco with 200,000 of your close friends. That's coming up in a couple of weeks at Salesforce's annual event. Um, and uh, uh, Salesforce, just to note, will not host an analyst event this year where they will provide long-term forecasts. They typically do. So uh, the quarterly reports are going to be uh, the times when we're going to get uh, an update. And, 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 you know, I think really the key here, and again, you alluded to it, Frank, in your opening remarks, is around what the growth is going to be. And I think the drivers there, as you mentioned, are going to be certainly the price increase, but also AI monetization, which we can talk about. Now, those are going to be offset by the macro, and it is a tougher macro right now, despite what we're seeing in the stock market, sales cycles are still longer, deal sizes are smaller across enterprises. Right. And those are things that are headwinds for Salesforce because they are a large deal company. All right. So let's just get right into it right now. What's the demand picture when it comes to Salesforce? Is Salesforce genuinely a bellwether? Is it a read on the broader software as a service mm -hmm. market? And then what are you hearing about this adoption of its monetized AI products? Yeah, great question. So I think the thing with Salesforce to keep in mind is that Salesforce is, is a tremendous innovator in the history of SaaS and software because Salesforce is one of the first companies to prove that software cannot just be about creating efficiencies, but also about driving revenue. And Mark Benioff was really the, the pioneer of that concept, which when I began my career was, was by no means, uh, even thought of as, as something that was possible for software. That having been said, when you get into a tougher time, more of your discretionary budgets are at 
that front office within marketing and in sales. Now, if the economy continues to improve, we will see the dollars go back there. Uh, to date, we really haven't seen dollars go back there. And so that's where the street is really wrestling right now with, you know, you mentioned that that CRPO number, that's at 10%. We do believe it has some conservatism built into that. But top line growth is really the focus. And Salesforce is a bellwether for growth and investment dollars right. being put into the industry. All right, Rob Oliver, always great to have you here and, and uh, get your insight. Like I said, Dreamforce coming up. It'll be an interesting year. Uh, appreciate your time. All Thanks, right, coming Frank. up here on Worldwide Exchange, while my next guest says key moves in the 10-year yield are set up to help the S&P retest recent highs and what names he is suggesting that you buy on the way up. We are back right after this. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. It is time now for your morning call sheet. We begin with Bernstein downgrading Texas instruments to underperform from market perform with a price target of 145. It says while there is nothing fundamentally wrong with TI's 15-year investment horizon, uh, analysts feel it's likely longer than many investors actually have. Bernstein also says gross margin forecasts they appear to be far too high. Shares of TI right now down almost 2%. Cowan is cutting Amberella to market uh, to market perform from outperform and lowering its price target from 90 bucks to 65 bucks. This follows the company's disappointing earnings. Amberella expecting third quarter revenue to come in well below estimates. Cowan says while Amberella has great promise in the long term, it's still a ways off from fulfilling that promise in the near term. At least those shares down almost 21 percent right now. All right, moving to the transport space, City is naming FedEx as one of its top picks. It has a buy rating with a price target of 285. City says peak season surcharges. They highlight FedEx's pricing power. Customer traffic diverted from the UPS contract talks and the closure of yellow likely support upside to earnings estimates. Those shares right now unchanged in the pre-market. And time now for your global briefing. We begin with inflation in a key German state. Inching up to 5.9% in August ahead of the country's overall figure expected later today. Monthly price increases in clothing, energy, alcohol, and tobacco, all of them driving the uptick. Meanwhile, food, non-alcoholic beverages, health, and beauty products offset a larger increase. Toyota's global sales in July growing 8% to a record 859,000 vehicles, marking six consecutive months of year-over-year increases. The company also reporting a 15% rise in global production. That's one day after shutting down more than a dozen of its domestic assembly facilities due to, a, due to a computer malfunction. And the city of Guangzhou announcing it's easing mortgage rules as the Chinese property sector, it struggles to find its footing within a slumping economy. The move, which is a first by a major Chinese city, allows home buyers to take on preferential loans that were previously limited to first-time buyers regardless of existing credit records. All right, ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. But first, we are watching Hurricane Adalia. It's a Category 4 storm set to make landfall in Florida today. We are tracking its path when we return. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Live shots from across Florida and the state, as the state and the region, they both brace for Hurricane Adalia. Looking at live shots of Orlando, Tampa Bay, and Pasco County already battering the coast as a Category 4 storm and expected to make landfall within the, in the next few hours, of course, talking about Hurricane Adalia. NBC meteorologist Michelle Grossman joins us now from New York tracking the storm. Michelle, what's the latest? 
Morning. Great to see you. Well, we are at a major hurricane level. We're looking at Category 4 storm. That just happened within the last half hour. It strengthened overnight as expected, and it strengthened quickly. And it's moving quickly, too. We're looking at it moving at 18 miles per hour. It's going to make landfall in the next couple of hours as a Category 4 storm. Could increase or strengthen just a bit over the next couple of hours. But here's a location, 60 miles west of Cedar Key, Florida. It's close to landfall. You can see that eye right there. You see those outer rain bands bringing that heavy rain. We already have reports of roads being flooded, power outages, seawalls being breached, and that's going to increase as we go throughout the next couple of hours. We could certainly see a lot of power outages. Take a look at all these tropical alerts. 18 million people impacted. It's not just the state of Florida. We're looking to Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, because we're going to see some high uh, surf as well in the Carolinas, also some rainfall, some gusty winds as well. Let's take a look at the track because we are so, so close to landfall. Category 4 storm, that's what's expected as we make landfall. Somewhere along the big bend of Florida, lots of rain too, really gusty winds. We're expecting winds right around 130 miles per hour at landfall. So especially in that northeast quadrant, we could see some really gusty winds. And then we're going to keep the strength for a bit before it decreases, but still bring lots of rain, still bring some surge to portions of the Carolinas. It's going to move off the coast by later on Thursday. A cold front's going to sweep it off the coast. Let's take a look at storm surge because the uh, National Hurricane Center is using words like catastrophic, life-threatening, historical. And that's what we're expecting because we could see up to 16 feet of storm, storm surge. What is that? Well, it's a wall of water that goes over dry land. You cannot outrun this. It is very, very dangerous. We're going to see some really large and dangerous wells, uh, swells as well, up to 16 feet in some spots. Frank? All right, Michelle, thank you very much. Michelle Grossman, sure. live in New York, tracking yeah. Hurricane Adalia. All right, it's time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Amazon facing pressure from the FDA over what regulators are calling sales of unapproved drugs on its site. It includes one medication for skin conditions that is not cleared for over-the-counter sales. The world's largest Bitcoin fund, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, coming off its best day in two years after U.S. court ruled against the SEC's decision to deny Grayscale a license to convert its fund into a true spot Bitcoin ETF. We're taking a look at stocks tied to crypto surging on that decision as well. Uh, stocks of Marathon, Riot, and, and, and uh, Coinbase all moving higher, double digits. All right, also looking at shares of NVIDIA dipping this morning after closing at a record high yesterday on its announced AI partnership with Google. That stock is now up more than 230% this year, making it the best performer in the S&P 500. Federal safety regulators are ordering Tesla to provide data on its self-driving systems, including the so-called Elon mode function, which allows drivers to use the autopilot systems without keeping their hands on the steering wheel. Calvin Klein parent PBH shares rising following an earnings beat. It also reiterated full-year guidance of 3 to 4% revenue growth. The company says it plans to improve inventories and reallocate resources to create a more efficient supply chain. And the TSA says it expects nearly 3 million travelers at airports during the Labor Day weekend, capping off what's been the busiest summer travel period on record. All right, here's what to watch today. We have the August ADP report that's out at 8.15 a.m. Eastern, followed by the second estimate on Q2 GDP that's at 8.30 a.m. And then July pending home sales at 10 a.m. Look for earnings from Brown Foreman before the opening bell. And then after the close, Salesforce, Chewy, CrowdStrike, Five Below and Victoria's Secret, they all report. All right, taking a look at futures right now. Uh, we were looking at them in the red just earlier in the show and seeing the same situation right now. It looks like the Dow's pretty much flat. The S&P and the Nasdaq both fractionally lower. This follows a positive session yesterday with all three riding a bit of a mini win streak and all around 3% from their 52-week highs. Joining me now to discuss if this trend can continue, Jeff Kilberg, 
from KKM Financial. He's also uh, a CNBC contributor. Jeff, it is great to have you here. Thanks, Brad. Great to be here, as always, pal. All right, so what's your take? This mini rally that we saw over the last few days, do you think it's, it's reached its end as you see futures in the red right now? I think it has, and it's the end of the month, Frank, so certainly you may see a little bit of window dressing from some of the asset managers who are underinvested, but I think it's all about the bond leadership. We look at the 10-year note. It recently surged up to 4.35. Here we are, 20 basis points lower, about 4.14 this morning, and I think people are really getting a little bit of relief, but in the wake of the jolts number yesterday, that job opening number, that was optimistic, and it's all about the Fed's path. If they really are going to press pause, maybe not raise interest rates, which I believe, I'm in the camp, Frank, that they are done with their historic rate campaign, rate hiking campaign. But what's interesting, the FedWatch, the CME Group's FedWatch tool, is also articulating the fact that there's an 80% chance they're going to press pause. But it's about the next. It's not about the September meeting. It's about the next meeting for the rest of the year. I think that's where it gets fascinating. And that's where you're seeing some equities being bought because you will see the 10-year note go back under 4% because I believe the data inflationary data coming out tomorrow, as well as the granddaddy of all numbers, the jobs number on Friday, that will further underscore the fact that we have the ability to have the Fed press pause and just let the economy really grapple and digest this lower abating inflationary data. All right. So you're saying the jobs report is now the granddaddy of all economic reports. I'm going to hold you to that one. I want to bounce something off. Always has been. (laughs) Because you're looking at bond yields. And I know you're also looking at the Chinese property sector. No from Fundstrat that hits on both of those topics. Um, this came out yesterday. It says yesterday's rally is proving quite strong in many categories. And finally, some evidence of some bottoming out in China and metals, but can't rule out a stalling out over the next two to three days, specifically because of yields. If non-farm payrolls can confirm Jolt's data and the 10-year crashes under 4%, then it's more likely that this rally extends. Do you agree or disagree? I do. And I think that's, you know, when you talk about being dynamic, when you talk about, you know, my word of the day, being dynamic really allows you to better understand that the market is pivoting or oscillating all on interest rates. And that's what the Fed's looking at, despite the fact that the Fed is trying to set policy. It's the interest rate. It's the bond market. And I go back, Frank, where I cut my teeth in, the, in these markets, back at the Chicago Board of Trade, the CME Group, in the 30-year bond pit. That bond leadership is prevalent, not just for mm-hmm. domestic equities, but globally, as well as commodities. But that illuminates the fact that some of these Chinese stocks, and I think if you use NEO as a proxy, which had earnings yesterday, which right. really saw the market pull back about 6.5%, but that came back at the end of the day. So Tesla, NEO, any type of play on electric vehicles, okay. specifically coming out of China, that allows you to participate if these yields do go below right, 4%. Jeff, let me participate. You jumped the gun. So your Wex order of the day is dynamic. We want to show it to the whole audience. And we also I got to, a lot of coffee in me, Frank. I can tell. I fired up this We morning. like it, man. We like it. So what do you see being dynamic today? I know your pick is NEO. So is it the EV space? Is it tech in general? Uh, if people are looking to put money to work today, what areas of the market do you see being dynamic? I think Tesla. So I've been an, an owner of Tesla, bought more on uh, the last couple sessions. I think when you see the move like we had in Tesla yesterday, up nearly 8%, you saw oversold conditions. If you look at the relative strength index, last couple of days, it was down at 30 for Tesla. So I think Tesla has the ability to go back up to 300. And if you think about China, we talked about China, and yes, I did jump the gun. I get a little excited, Frank, uh, when I have this much coffee in me. But if you think about <laughs> China, the demand coming out of China, China drives 60% of all the EV okay. market. But what we've seen, and I know Wait, there's Jeff, a note coming I, out of- I, I got to leave you there, man. You got a a lot of coffee in you, man. I hope you have a busy day to work all this out. Jeff Goldberg, cool. great baby. to see you Let's as go. always. Uh, futures lower right now. We got to leave it there. We got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA.